Hi, I'm Tony Moore, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. This is a journey into sound. Gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 161. My name is Jay, the Jediras. Please excuse me while I flick my beck. I want you to take the Frankenstein shit, the deer shit, the green monster, the bling, and the bling bling, and I want you to roll it all into one joint. Damn, it's like a trip to Hanalee. Good times, everybody. Welcome back. Excuse me there. It's good to be here again and again and again. This again in particular is the 161st again. And yet again, we have a fantastic independent comic creator slash artist slash illustrator slash cool, cool guy guest to bring to you tonight. His name is Sean Langley. Uh, Very popular online if you are in my circles in any way on the twits or on the Facebooks then uh, you probably know of Sean Langley, an amazingly talented artist and uh, a very, very smart, cool, fun-to-talk-to individual. So we got together and we chatted. We chatted tons. We got deep into the comic books, into the art discussion, talks of Doctor Who, talked a lot of cool stuff. I had a really, really good time talking to Mr. Langley. So uh, listen to all the links and all the spots and go check out Sean Langley online and uh, experience the awesomeness that is him. There, uh, there's one thing you're going to hear spouted a couple times during this interview, and that is, in fact, that it is being touted as the last show before Fan Expo Canada 2015. That happens next week. That happens September 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre, beautiful downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and you know the weapon will be there engaging in our usual fun time gorilla pod stylies bringing to you all the greatest madness from Artists Alley and beyond. You have to come down to the show. You've got to meet Anthony Rutgazer. You've got to meet Sean Daly. You've got to meet Jake Fosgett. You've got to meet Josh Werner. you got to meet uh, Sparkle Girl Jen. God damn it. Um, bit of a misnomer, though. Uh, I thought this would be the last episode I put out until you hear some of our Fan Expo coverage, but something super-duper 
uber cool happened, and I have one more episode to bring to you. And that's probably going to drop on the day before or the first day of Fan Expo. So that'll either be Wednesday the 2nd or Thursday the 3rd. And that is a entire hour-long episode sit-down chat with the man himself, 29-year veteran of DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Dark Horse Comics, the comic industry in general, Inker Extraordinaire. That's right, Mr. Mark McKenna. Indeed, I sat down for an entire hour, talked to uh, the legend himself. We talked about a lot of cool stuff. If you're a comic creator or a comic junkie in any way, you're really going to enjoy this episode. I'm very proud of the discussion that we had. Uh, He's got a new Kickstarter that just launched for Combat Jacks on kickstarter you should check it out it's a really cool idea from mark and his team uh so that's going to come next week and fan expo is going to come next week and i'm getting so excited that i think i'm going to come next week so uh good times indeed but for now please please enjoy as much as i did my conversation with artist sean langley Morning, sir. Hello, how are you? Fantastic, how are you? Not too bad at all. It's nice to finally meet you, dude. Yes, sir, you too, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Mm -hmm. Greatly appreciate it. You're joining me on my last show before our Fan Expo madness begins. Ooh, sounds exciting. Yes, it's going to be a good time this year. It usually is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it's our big con of the year and everything, so it's like Christmas time, you know? <laughs> Where's that one at again? Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, that's uh, Comic-Con North, they call it. Oh, yeah. The furthest I've been north is Boston recently, and that's 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 about as much out of town as I get. Right on. Where do you call headquarters? Headquarters is Gallup Place, Ohio, which nobody knows where that's at until I say, remember the Mothman stuff in Point Pleasant, the bridge? And they, they're like, yeah. <laughs> and I just say, well, that bridge connected Point Pleasant and Gallup Place. Very cool. Ohio's yeah. not bad. I spent a month in Ohio once. Oh, yeah? yeah. South enough to hear banjos? Uh, not quite that far, okay. no. It was in uh, Kent. Kent, Ohio. That's not bad. That's yeah, not bad. I- uh, went down there for work for a month. It was like one of those kind of like month-long training things where they set you up in the hotel and stuff, you know? Gotcha. Is the is the feedback all right? My speakers and everything's okay? Yeah, you sound fantastic, okay. man. No good, worries good. at all. It's uh, it's better than I'm used to, actually. <laughs> hey, there you go. Well, I got my uh, my web the microphones on the webcam, and I just stretched the thing out and set it in front of me away from the speakers. So Very nice. Skype can be a thin... Oh, oh no. But that. hilarious, though. That, that was funny. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great excuse to put my uh, Darth Vader Imperial March Muzak in there. There you go. Yeah, I'm always looking for an excuse to put the elevator music in there, you know? Yeah, I noticed you said Muzak. <laughs> that's, that's not a word that I hear that much anymore. 
Yeah, it's a, it's uh it's gonna be forgotten from uh, language pretty soon, probably. Not unless people like us keep bringing it back. Yeah, we'll have to keep CDs alive now too. CDs are officially dead. No, I already gave up on that. I've got a Spotify account. I'm drinking the Kool Aid. <laughs> very nice, very nice. I have to look into that. I've never, uh... you know, I was a LimeWire kid. <laughs> oh gosh, LimeWire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I remember the BBS uh, boards before the internet came out. Remember those? No, I don't go that far back. Uh, the BBS boards was something. It was basically like Reddit now, back then, back when dial-up was around. Okay. That's that's what it was. It was Reddit and Craigslist before the internet really took off. Oh, nice. Yeah, you yeah. figure someone must have been selling something right away. Oh, yeah, it was always that. It was, you know, text-based video games, and I've got this car that I don't want anymore. Give me money for it. That was what it was. Oh, dude, it's crazy how, like, I just remember, what, less than 10 years ago having my flip phone, just being uh-huh. thrilled I could text and play Tetris on it. And I had a Crazer. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. yeah. And now, now it's just, oh, man, I get upset if I'm like, <laughs> Facebook's not loading fast enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. Why is Instagram down again? <laughs> Oh, so spoiled. I always get worried about my kids getting like living up in a spoiled world, a lazy world. But Mm -hmm. here I am setting the example already. (laughs) The worst trouble they're going to know is if the Wi-Fi is too slow or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. My my son's four years old. And when he first started, you know, old enough to kind of play with the laptop and stuff, he I remember the first time he opened the laptop, he tried swiping the screen. Mm. And he had no idea. Just like phones were, <laughs> that's how computers worked. You, they were everything was touchscreen. I like where I had the option to. I got a new computer recently because my old one crapped out a few months ago, and I had the option of getting a newer computer with the touchscreen, and I opted to not have the touchscreen yeah, because I'm, I'm used to the regular, you know, screen. It's a bit too far for me yet, too. Yeah, I totally hear you. Like I had to introduce to him what a, what a mouse was and. Oh. You know, and he's like, what is, what, huh? I, <laughs> it's, it's a strange world. I had to explain to my daughter the other week. She's 16. I had to tell her what Woodstock was. Wow. I was just like, I have failed as a father. Like, <laughs> how can you not George know? George Jimmy Hendrix CD, so this is pretty much all you need to know. Everything else I'll tell you in a couple more years. Well, I was at least happy she knew of the people, like she knew of Jimmy and stuff when I mentioned who played there. Good. But she just didn't know about the actual event, and I was like, wow, well, sit down, child, and uh, <laughs> here we go, you know? So it's a good time. So I I feel a little behind the times here. I feel like in some strange way you're a bit of an overdue guest on this show because huh. I I feel like everyone I knew online was a huge fan of yours before I really figured out who you were. I feel like I was late to the game on you. And because everyone I knew was just like, Sean Langley, this is badass. And so I had a look, and absolutely, your art is wonderful. Thank you, sir. Uh, you do fantastic work. And uh, so basically, why don't you say again? Like on, I think I had the best compliment I've had so far on Instagram. I posted a picture or something, and some, some girl put a comment on there and said, holy balls, Sean, with exclamation points. I'm like, that's, I think that's the pinnacle of what I can get. That's pretty good. That's yeah, that's a fantastic compliment. Like, like you feel what they're feeling when they right. when they give you those that kind of setup of words. It's like a notch above a maze balls. It's like the next. <laughs> the complete opposite of clown shoes. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, it's fantastic. So yeah, so you're you know I, I'm I'm looking around and I see it's pretty obvious that you're you're quite a talented illustrator. 
Uh, but is, I, I'm, I, you'll have to fill me in. Like, is, is there any projects you've been connected to? Or are you just a straight up illustrator? Like, what's the deal? Uh, straight up illustrator. Uh, my first gig that I got was um, I was, well, I mean, I started, you know, people ask me when I start drawing. The usual the answer that a lot of us artists give is, you know, as soon as I was old enough to get a crayon. Um, I started taking it more seriously in the comic book style, you know, about four years. Well, comic book style since high school. I started trying to do something with it more seriously about three or four years ago. Um, and I started shamelessly whoring around my artwork on the Internet, Twitter and stuff like that. And I did the thing that I don't do anymore. I, I won't I won't criticize anybody for doing it, but I would post a piece of artwork and then like, you know, tweet, you know, different people in the comic community, big wigs say, hey, you like this? Can you retweet it? And I would do that until Twitter said, no, you're done for the day. No. Right. <laughs> you know, and. And uh, final one, I got Mark Wade retweeted a picture of mine. Uh, it was a Goblin Queen of uh, Marvel's Goblin Queen, and uh, a writer out of Ireland named Darren O'Toole saw that and said, "Do you want to work together?" So we both both trying to get it. He had done a book also recently. I hadn't done anything yet really, um, and so he's like, "Let's try to get our names out there." So it ended up being this Kickstarter successfully Kickstarter funded graphic novel. You know, a monster called Earth Ruler, uh, another uh, a superhero type epic, and uh, that was what kind of catapulted it. And I say catapulted. I'm not working for any of the big two. I'm not. I'm not known or anything. I just I'm doing you know the indie stuff, which is which is the level that I'm at now. And um, a writer, Darren was a great writer on that project. One of these days, we'll probably you know if I ever stop being lazy and get the time, I'll go back to or stop actually. My thing is I don't know when to say no on projects. Right. Um, so one of these days I'll, I'll do that and make time for Earth Ruler, the next volume of it. Um, but uh, Josh Dahl out of Boston, who had been doing a Rapid City comic series, uh, just fantastic writer. The dude's amazing. And he hollered at me and said, you want to do like a, a, a separate Rapid City story in, set in the same universe he's got, um, kind of a different uh, storyline, same universe, different characters. And I was like, sure. So we're on issue three of Rapid City Below Zero now. Right on. It's uh, that's cool. I mean, as far as you just being like on the indie circuit, you're getting quite well known, at least in the circles I know on the indie circuit. So are these books out then? Or are they in pleasant, like presently being worked on? Or yeah, well, Earth Ruler's been out for a couple of years now. That okay. One's, that one's uh, you can get from. Um, uh, Darren, if you look up Darren O'Toole, he's got links to get copies of that book. I've got copies of it. Um, and I know it's in a lot of, they're local. So it's, you know, where he's local is, is some places over in Ireland. So that's a lot of the comic cons and shops over there have it. Um, and Josh is Boston based. So I don't think there's a comic shop in Boston without Rapid City on the shelves. Okay. And here I'm this town that I'm in, it's a void. There's no comic shops around here. So there's, there's nothing my side of the, uh, you know, around here that really has it. Um, there's one comic shop in northern Ohio that I got to visit, and they have some on their shelves, but it's uh, it's Mavericks Card and Comics, uh, right above um, uh, northwestern Ohio, I think they have some. Oh, that hurts, man. That hurts. It's, yeah. Uh, see, I'm really, I'm spoiled around here. Like, I got, like, six comic shops within, like, 20 minutes of me. Oh. Yeah, Ontario, Toronto here, it's just, it, it's bonkers. So I always feel, I have a good friend of the show, Anthony Bachman over in Boise, Idaho, mm -hmm. and same situation. He's got to drive like an hour and a half to hit a comic shop, and it's just like, oh, that hurts. That hurts, man. Hurts my soul. <laughs> yeah, I've been avoid. There's nothing. Yeah. 
Well, you're, you're kind of you're, you're almost what I'd say uh, in a weird way. You can almost describe you as an internet artist, in yeah. the, In the respect of your work's very popular online, and I've seen that, and uh, it looks fantastic. I've seen some of your work that I'm like that could easily be in a big two comic, no problem. So, yeah, it's almost like a new kind of artist where I see you pushing it a lot. But that's that's actually how Stegman started. He was telling uh, he was telling me about how. That's all he did at the beginning was just put his stuff online. He put as much of his work as he possibly could online just so as many eyes as possible could see it. And right. eventually, all of a sudden, shit just started rolling on its own. So mm-hmm. do, you, do you find that yeah. kind of starting starting to maybe feel that way? I do see way? that, yeah, because I still – you know, I get other, other projects and stuff, and a lot of it's with friends that are that are in indie. Uh, but it just keeps getting more and more. And I know the the more I do, the better I get. You can't – um, you can't not progress in artwork. You can't in something like this. You can't not get better. And so the more stuff I do, you know, the, the better I get at it, and the more visible. Yeah, it's like you said, it's it's visibility. And I keep posting stuff out there. I wouldn't even have Instagram if it wasn't for the artwork. I I wouldn't care. I don't eat sushi and or post pictures of it. You know, so <laughs> um, so it wouldn't be. I wouldn't have any use for Instagram largely. But the artwork. Uh, I put a thing on there today. I got over 1,500 followers uh, today on across that mark. Oh, so I mean, damn. that's that's astounding to me. It, it really is. I'm just some dude in a small town in Ohio where obviously we hear banjos on a regular basis, and um, <laughs> I love comics. I like drawing comics, and this is you know, there's people that that put up with my weirdness and and follow that. So, well, power to them. It's it's great to see though. I mean, it's fun to watch too because I started seeing kind of buzzes and uh, you know a few of my friends were big fans of yours and you know I'd start seeing them sharing your stuff and I'd be like and I I was a little confused. I was like, does this guy work up there? Like you know, I, your stuff was so good. I was just a little thrown off by how just an independent illustrator you were. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's 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 a new way to go about it, but it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in bumfuck Idaho, you could be in bumfuck Ohio. You know, you got an internet now. You get your shit I've out there. I've cousins that live there, by the way, in that town, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, like you know, you can anybody can see it now, and talent shows through. You know, it's uh, it's great that we can do that nowadays. Because you're right. I mean, what would you be doing 15, 20 years ago? You'd have to be hiking to cons or. Just mailing and receiving rejection letter after rejection letter to you were ready. And sending a hundred different packages to Marvel and DC. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, I saw you just did a con recently, yes? Yeah, I was. Uh, I did. I don't get a lot of because I have a you know I have a day job um, like a lot of guys in indie, and my day job keeps me to where I can't always you know get weekends off for the cons, especially the big ones. Um, my boss is very cool about that stuff to where if I let her know enough in advance, you know we have the staffing and. Nobody's deathly ill with a bowl or anything like that, then it's easy enough to get a day off for that big weekend's not so much. Um, but, um, you know, I only really asked for one big one a year. This year it was Boston. Nice. And that was that was just a huge thing. I love that city. Well, uh, I have myself. That, it was uh, Marietta, Ohio, which is a little closer to home. It's only like an hour and a half drive. Hmm? Right on. Right on. And what was the what was the last recent one that you were at, you were at? That was Boston, or Say what? the most recent one you were at? That was Boston. That was Marietta. That was no Boston, and then uh, 
Oh, sorry, we're getting a little choppy no, here. The one after Boston was well, Boston was only like um, three weeks ago, and two weeks after that, this last weekend was River City Comic Con. That's yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Was, there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're just getting a little choppy here. It, it happens as I was cursing the Skype. You, yeah, you got a little yeah. Um, River City, yeah, you don't do that. It'll shut you down. It's Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's the one I uh, saw you kept posting about was the the River City there. That looked like a fun right. time. Yeah, River City Comic Con. It was a small con last year. They had about a thousand people. This year they had eight, about eight fifty, um, from what they said online. And next year they're going to have, I think, they're going to have a bigger venue, so they'll have a lot more people allowed in there. It was the people there are just great. That is a fantastic place to set up a table at. Well, that's great. Those smaller cons are always fun. You know, those one dares where, you know, I really like the one day ones because you can, you kind of get all the excitement into a day and you don't let yourself, you know, there's no other days to make it be like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. So you kind of can pack right. it all into one little fun day and check out every artist you can. And Yeah, it was great. And they, they treat you so well. I don't know if they do this, how many cons they do this at. Probably not the bigger ones but at this one they <laughs> excuse me they come around to the artist's alley and they have places that's a local like a restaurant that's either you know in the building or like very nearby and they come by and take orders and everything and then and they bring the food to you and take your money while you're at your table it's great what <laughs> artist's alley delivery <laughs> that's fantastic yep. <laughs> Artist Alley delivery. They did it last year. They did it this year. They go around, they take orders and everything. It's great. That's an awesome idea. I love some of the cool little stuff and gimmicks that some of these cons come up with. You know, I went to two cons this year that served. Like that's I'd never experienced that. I was at the Great Philadelphia Con and then I was at Denver Comic Con and I could actually buy beer and just walk around Artist Alley with a tall boy. It was un, it was unreal. It was. I think they had that at Boston. I think I think that's a prerequisite though for any event in Boston. Yeah, I would not be shocked to find that in Boston yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. You know, was that far? How far yeah. a drive are you from Boston? Was that a trek for you? Oh, I didn't drive. I flew. Okay, that's nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's about so, a two-hour flight. I'm not sure how far of a drive it would have been. Oh, that's not bad. But, yeah, well, some of these people are trekkers. I mean, I know some of these indie guys who just live out of their van like they were in a band, you know? It's just, you know, like Dirk Manning. I don't know if – I think you're familiar with Dirk Manning. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've talked to Dirk, but I'm familiar with him. We're kind of, kind of like in the same circles of friends. Yeah. Um, I know that Sean Ford is a really cool guy from Ohio, and he went to Boston as well, and I know him and his wife drove. But they, they went like on a little, you know, like a little sightseeing thing, got there earlier than I did. Oh, it's always nice when you can organize like kind of a mini trip around a con in a city you've never been to, you know. But uh, Dirk, he he claims to have a home, but I don't know if I believe him. I think he just lives <laughs> in the Dirk mobile because the guy did. My number is going to be totally off here, but he did like something retarded, like eighteen cons in like two or three weeks or Jeez. forty days or some kind of retarded, you know, equation. That I was just like, oh, it's, how? Like, <laughs> it's like. It's like a triathlon of conventions. I don't know how you do that. Oh, some people are troopers, man. They just get around, you know. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's super cool, though. It's uh, it's always fun. I try to get a few in a year, you know. It's usually the ones I can get pressed to because then that saves me money, right? <laughs> right, right. Which is always funny because, I mean, there's quite a few cons that I've been able to get press passes for at this point. But the one that I still can't crack is my hometown con, is Fan Expo. Hmm. They're very strict on their uh, press passes in a weird way that uh, 
they don't give them to podcasts really. They want podcasts to actually like pay and you know apply as exhibitors and stuff. And it's like, well, that's not really press, you know. I don't need a table. I'm just me and a microphone wanting to talk to people at their tables, you know. Right. So they've even claimed to me that it's uh sometimes it's usually the celebrities who don't want to talk to podcasts because you know they don't know what level they could be on, sort of thing. I think that's a load of shit, but. You know, I just stick to my yeah. gorilla podcast stylies anyways because, you know, they don't mind you talking to people in Artist Sally, and those are the people most willing to talk and blab about their work anyways. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's easy enough. So is, is uh, are superheroes your, your thing then? Is that uh, what you think you'll go with, or do you kind of That's what I gravitate to. I've, I've had uh, there's a couple other projects here and there. Um, there's one that I, I wish I could have done, but I just didn't have the time uh, with a company called Broken Icon Comics, uh, which would have been just a kind of a horror thing, uh, which would have been totally different. And I loved, you know, getting through the sketches and work on the stuff that I did work. But um, I made the mistake of saying, yeah, sure, I've got time to do that. And then realizing, no, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> uh, so I had to back out. Um, but there's a, a guy that uh, runs a little company called Nemesis Comics. It's Stan Kanoka. Hey, um, this podcast that you're on right now is sponsored mm. by Nemesis Studios. Look at that. There Good you old go. Kenoka. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's my hero. He's oh, a cool guy, like yeah. Stan. And Stan, yeah, we've he's got a, a zombie book that he's uh, that I'm whenever, you know, I get we get the chance to get together on it, I'll be doing it for him. Um the badges he had for single family home, I think is the name of it. Yep. Like the picture of the zombies and stuff outside the house and the family inside, that was me. Nice. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. I haven't had it. Zombies are always, I love drawing the crazy, the grisly stuff. Love it. So that one is something I'm going to have a lot of fun with whenever we can get around to it. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. I know he's really excited about it, man. Their uh, nemesis is on a roll these days. You know, he just dove right in and things are starting to pop up, which is always, always great to see if you just keep to the grind, you know, like how do you, how do you make it work? I mean, you, you mentioned you have a day job. Is it uh, yeah. girlfriend, kids, wife? girlfriend uh, at the moment and, and uh that sounded horrible <laughs> i mean i have been married before right, right now it's girlfriend okay um it sounds horrible. i know i same, hear that same, same boat as <laughs> i you. didn't mean it to sound like that no hmm? <laughs> i'm in the same boat as you been there done that <laughs> um what was what was uh mitch hedberg made a joke one time says i do not have a girlfriend but i do know a woman that'd be mad at me for saying that <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, I, I got a girlfriend now, and uh, she's she's pretty cool. And the no, just the day job is the um, is the thing. It's just yeah, you know, it's I sell tractors to rednecks, so haul. Well, it's it's uh, you know finding the time is rough, man. I mean, I do this podcast. Yeah. I need basically one hour a week to record it, and then I need maybe two or three to edit it, depending on how in depth I want to get with it. And, you know, just those four or five hours trying to find that, like, granted, I have kids, so that, you know, sucks the soul of time from me. But, right. uh, you know, it, still for an artist to sit down, like, like uh, one of your average pieces that we see online, you know, just maybe a headshot or full color, like an eight by 11. How long does something like that take you? It's whenever I get asked that question, it's so tough for me to answer that. And I'll tell you why. I have an OCD about I can't do one project start to completion and and then jump into the next project. Right now, I'm looking at about uh, – there's about three or four different commissions that I've got that are partway done. 
and I jump to one, jump to another, jump to another, and go back and forth. Um, and I know that's probably a horrible way to do it, but I have this, my brain has this OCD. And also when working on the Rapid City 00 series for Josh, uh, you know, I'll go to from commission to the pages and stuff. And it's, it's really hard for me to say one of these days, I'm going to sit down and try to work on one alone and time it or just get an egg timer for each one. That'd probably <laughs> be the best way to do it. Nice. I've, know, heard, you know, I've heard of it done before, though. I've, I've talked to several artists who like to actually jump around just to keep it fresh, you know, if they get bored of drawing yeah. one thing. So it the art doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want the art to suffer. So just stop for a minute and, right. you know, do something like a complete different style just to shake your brain out of it. You know, monotony is a creativity killer. Sometimes you have to, you know, you, you have to do something that doesn't, because if you, if you keep doing the same thing a lot, it feels like work for a bit. And, that, I don't want this to feel like work ever. Um, so got to jump over, try to sketch something out, you know, draw something that's more fun than what I'm drawing at that moment and then go back to it. Right. Uh, do you, is it all yourself? Because a lot of your pieces are colored. So you color that stuff yourself, yeah? Yeah, a lot. Of, yeah, the if it's if it's Rapid City Below Zero, Earth Ruler was digitally colored by a guy out of the Philippines. Um, I can't remember. It was He went by Lance Katan. I'm not sure if he still uses that. was a pseudonym. I'm not sure if he still uses that or now or not. Um, Rapid City Below Zero, it was, first issue was just black and white lines in the interiors. Um, the colors on the covers are digitally done fantastically, I might add, by a guy named Micah Faulkner. Um, and, but the, the interiors, Josh saw that I work with markers. All my standalone stuff is all markers. I haven't been able to sit down and train myself to do digital coloring yet. I'm not like Rob Torres, Sean Forney. These guys are great at it, and I, I'm right. not in that group yet. Yeah, you in the Copic scene? Me in the Copics, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Josh saw that I started doing like gray tones and some of my stuff, so he wanted me to start doing that with Rapid City. So Micah does the, the digital cover uh, colors for the covers on those. The interiors, the grays, are all me and the markers. Right on. It's uh, I love the look of it, man. It's got that just that watercolor whitewash kind of look to it once in a while, you know? It's the uh, are amazing. Oh, they yeah. They really are. Cool. I've, I've had the Walking Dead comment made, which is it's, it's the pr like the primary first comic you think of that's black and white gray shades. You think Walking Dead, so that co that comparison is going to happen. Um, Tony Miller's artwork is uh, is uh, is in a, just in a league of its own, though. So I, I get a lot of cues from the gray shading and style he uses. That I think his is digital, of course, but still the shading is great. Well, that's great. There's something to be said. I mean, there's so much is going digital these days that it's like. Right. I mean, look at look at lettering. I mean, the the art of hand lettering is almost dead. There's maybe what four or five guys out there who, who like are masters of it, and uh, no one's even bothering to learn it anymore. That that's one that I think it's a shame. Almost to the point where I almost want to pick it up myself because there's like no hand letterers left, you know. Right, right. It's always a shame. Uh, Tony I mean, Moore actually reminds. Hmm? Yeah, go ahead. That just reminded me of a funny story with when I was heading to Boston. I hadn't flown before, and uh, we were, I was flying from Cincinnati to Boston, and uh, I'd never flown before. So I was kind of like, is this going to be a thing for me? Is it going to be all right? And I survived both both uh, flights. I, I did okay. I just a little freaked out with uh, the takeoff and the landing. And when I was on the plane, there was, uh, I, there was a girl that I remembered. It was about three seats in front of me, um, and there was a guy with her. And I didn't recognize the girl or the guy. I just noticed her. Uh, and, uh, you know, the flight was, I had a couple of different uh, moments on there when 
like when the landing gear hit the runway, I know I let out some type of exclamation that I probably would have had to apologize to the um, to the <laughs> parents of the kids sitting next to me for because I didn't expect that feeling when the landing gear hit the runway. Um, and then when I got to the Boston, I was like, there's that girl sitting at that booth. That's Tony Moore with her. Oh, my gosh. Tony Moore. And I'm assuming his girlfriend were on the plane three seats ahead of me on the way to Boston from Cincinnati. That was Tony Moore. And so long story short is if I had had a freak out, Tony Moore would have been on Twitter complaining about the guy that diverted his flight and he missed Boston Comic Con because of me. <laughs> That's cool. It's probably best you didn't know because you would have just spent the rest of the flight being like wanting to talk to him and be like, I need to geek out. Yeah. <laughs> Let the geek out. You know, he's a pretty nice guy. He's, uh... He is. I've actually talked to him uh, before at a, uh, Wizard World in Columbus a few years ago, and he's just a super cool guy. Yeah, yeah, he's just one of those busy guys where uh, I know some people I think have gotten the wrong impression because he's just one of those head down drawers at cons too. Yeah, I know a lot of people mistake that in artists when you're at a con. A lot of people forget that they're not just there to jabber; like they're there to work. Like they take so right. many commissions in a day that they spend their nights at the hotel finishing those commissions. So of mm -hmm. course they've got their heads down, and you know. But if you understand that, you can they can talk while they draw. You know, it's right. <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah, I take my clipboard and everything and my markers, and I sit there and I'm drawing the whole time at a con. So it's, I try not to be one of the, the head down types of guys, you know. But whenever somebody walks up, I always look up and try to talk to them. Yeah, when you're Tony Moore, though, you're, I mean, you're so busy. He was nice enough to give me a bumper for the for the show, but he didn't even look up while he did it. Like he kept drawing while he was like, "You're listening to an elegant weapon." I was like, "Right <laughs> on, right on, dude. Thanks." He's like, "No problem," you know. So. <laughs> Because it was because I remember I was talking to him about how uh, it was one of the last fan expo. It was last fan expo or last Toronto Comic Con was one of the last shows where he was going to be allowed to sell Walking Dead art. Oh. Yeah, because I guess uh, they came to some agreement or something, so he's got to stop doing Walking Dead art. And it was the last time, one of the last few shows he was going to be able to sell prints. So uh, people were just grabbing that up because they were like, oh, shit. You know? That's so sad. I mean, he does a lot of stuff, but he's known for The Walking Dead so much. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I, he must – the deal must have been – he didn't seem to mind. So I'm guessing that whatever deal AMC or whoever the hell gave him was mm -hmm. was you know enough that he's like, okay, I'll just draw other stuff now. You know? yep, so, Because, yep. I mean, his name is on the show. So you know right. he's okay. It's, it's right there under creator you know he's not just the artist he's, he gets the creator credit so i'm sure he's doing quite fine he actually did uh, you know how sometimes they'll have a white car at a convention and let like the artist draw all over it yeah i've seen that yeah they did one at fan expo and he was one of the guys and he did a giant like uh like kind of a giant ram's head on the hood like a oh, satanic cool. like ram's head sounds like him <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it was it was uh it was cool shit. So who were you – obviously, you're a fan of his. Who else influenced you in uh, your workings? In, in my workings, it's always um, – I, I, well, I was collecting comics big time when Image – when all those guys jumped ship from Marvel and went to Image. So I – not so much anymore because he's, he's changed so much. He, he's more of a businessman than doing the regular artistry stuff, Todd McFarlane. Um, you know, Jim Lee. It's always been Jim Lee. But I've always um, – I always like the the stylings too of Dale Keown, you know, when he was doing the Hulk, that influenced me a lot. Oh, that shit was it's great. Yeah. So distinctive. You know, when he went to Pitt later on, but it's still the Hulk for me. Yeah. Um but I've all I've loved uh like Umberto Ramos. Yep. You know, just the style the the 
he has so much – I mean the, the energy he puts in some of that stuff. And Eric Larson. Eric Larson, uh, he, he the artwork's cool, but when he does fights and stuff, people just flying everywhere, energy bolts. It's just amazing. <laughs> His run on Spider-Man was great. Oh, it was – it was he picked it up right after McFarlane. He took it issue over six, for him. Issue right? uh, 16. McFarlane's yeah. last one was um, – it was either uh, issue – well, let's see. McFarlane was there – Amazing Spider-Man, then Larson took it up over that. And I think um, – well, they all left for Image about the same time. Yeah, he wasn't on it forever because I remember he started. It was like 366 or 383 or something was uh, – was or 283 or something was uh, Chance because that was the – I remember the, the bad guy Chance on those two issues because I remember it was the first time uh, – one of them was uh, McFarlane's first Wolverine – or sorry, first Spider-Man cover. And it was the first right. time we saw the barbed wire web. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking to myself, the first thing I thought to myself was, why is Spider-Man shooting chains out of his web shooters? Right. And I totally didn't get it. And from that it's moment... Yeah, yeah. And from yeah. that moment on, McFarlane changed everything. Like, it's yeah. cool to see all the people like Larson and Capullo who kind of grew off having to kind of carry his style on, but now have taken that style and, you know, you've seen themselves come into it. Yeah. You know, like you can almost see where a McFarlane like influence in Batman these days, but it's still he's he's made Batman so his own, you know? Yeah, he does. His Capullo style is just amazing. Yeah. It's that it's that sketchy it's the control of the sketchiness. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yep. somehow they draw twice as they use twice as many lines as they need to, and it, it looks kinda so if you look real close, some of the lines just they're like they don't have a reason to be there, mm-hmm. but they just look so good. Right. You know, I remember when McFarlane used to draw Wolverine; it looked like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and I'd be it like, was, um, the the Spider-Man standalone title that McFarlane started. It was around some of the later issues, and they had that storyline with Wolverine and the Wendigo. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah it was great. And I remember because uh, uh, Peter Parker's on the plane and he's talking to some old like war veteran or something, and the war veteran tells him a story about way back when in the war. When they got saved by some crazy wild naked man, mm-hmm. and then at the end he's like, uh, "What was his name? It was a good strong Canadian name. I think it was Logan." Yeah. And, you see, and you see Parker's eyes just go wide. And he's like in his head, he's like, "Holy shit, Wolverine!" It was just like a yeah. one, one, one-off <laughs> issue, you know? It didn't connect to nothing. And oh man, yeah, those days were the best, man. I it's like when sh- um, the you see Logan during that storyline, like go to uh, Peter Parker in a crowd and straight up identify him as Spider Man, you know, on the side. And Parker's like, how, how the crap you know that? And he's like, you stink. Yeah. Tracked <laughs> <laughs> down by smell, man. Yeah. Those were good times, man. It's a shame about, like, the way they overprinted in the 90s and everything blew up because those yeah. were just amazing times. I mean, I was prime time, too. I was, like, 12, 13, and, like, 89. You know, like, everything for me, I measure from Batman. Like, it's either before Batman or after Batman. 1989. <laughs> yeah. And I just can't help it. For some reason, I feel like after I saw Batman... I lost, I lost some innocence or something, you know, <laughs> like well, that was the way it went for a lot of people too. You have the, the dark Knight, uh, the dark Knight uh, comic, you know, Frank Miller. And, oh yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. yeah. The, uh, um, the, uh, that, that brought everything back up. And that's the reason we had the 89, you know, the Michael Keaton Batman movie and, and everything. And just blew up with that. Oh yeah, Batman was popular again, and by by proxy, comic. 
Still there? Yep, yep. Sorry. Oh, there we go. I had a little internet connectivity problem there. It happens occasionally. It's goddamn internet gremlins, you know what I mean? <laughs> was, uh, we, uh, if I could, I could, a vague term for those and make an inside joke to one of my favorite musical groups, it'd be a traveling Wilbury, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, that's the other, they got the name from like little glitches in the in the boards and stuff whenever they were using them, didn't they? Oh, is that what it is? I think I, so. I have was, no idea. It was something. It was traveling Wilbury or something Wilbury, and uh, that's what they with the nickname they had for like little you know gremlins or glitches in the uh, sound equipment, I think, and that's where they got the name of the group from. That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> Wilbury. It's like it's like the best rock coming together group ever. Yeah, that was that was a crazy thing. That was, it was crazy how that happened, and then Roy Orbison died immediately after, and the magic was gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, even the second album, you still had Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, George Harrison, and and Bob Dylan. You still had those four giants, but the magic was gone because it's like the fellowship was broken when Roy died. That was it. Yeah, and you couldn't like that. That he was like the the magic of the voices. You know, yeah. it was uh, unless the song had that bit of him in it. Totally, it. it you know, but I was I, see. I remember I was young enough when they came out that I was of the generation that was like, "Who the hell is Jeff Lynn?" Like I didn't get who, right. that, who that guy was. You know? yeah. I, I did not know who he was at the time either. I was more like everybody knew Tom Petty. I knew Roy Orbison. Um, I was a little aware of Bob Dylan, and there was a Beatle. And <laughs> I knew who Jeff Lynn was, and now I'm like, that's. I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ELO. I, oh, I got it. Like electric like orchestra stuff. Those are bands my uncle liked. You know, that, that was that kind of shit. Like Three Dog Night. And I couldn't have told you a single like song of them at the time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, it was all I uh, all I cared about back yeah. then. It was weird. Now, I... it's, now it's, oh, yeah. Like... No, clipping out again. Yeah, there. You there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that again. <laughs> I'm here. You said something about Green Day. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like you mentioned ELO, and I'm like, now these days, it's oh that group that Green Day ripped off. Yeah. Nice, nice. You ever heard that? You ever heard? Listen to Twenty One Guns, then listen to ELO's Telephone Line. All right. It's uh yeah, it's kind of like uh, what happened with uh, Tom Petty this year with Stan Smith, and he ended up having. Stan Smith, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. didn't even. Uh, it was yeah, he didn't even fight him on it. He's like, no, hey, he's like, yeah. all right, you got me. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> right. Here you go. Here's, here's, a lot here's of your money. money. Tom Petty's like, I'm richer than ever. I think it's like his biggest hit ever, technically, because now he gets a yeah. writing credit, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, something. That's a total score for just coming up with a melody, like you know. I'm getting paid for the way I decided to hum. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's good times indeed. So uh, what are you into these days, comic-wise? comic, uh, comic wise? What titles are you enjoying? Uh, I just got around to Spider-Verse with Dan Slott. Nice. The The trade just yeah. came out, didn't it? Yeah, that's what I got is the trade. I picked that up with the uh, the amazing Spider-Man issues in that, and I'm about halfway through it. That is that is a heck of a read, man. I'm, yeah, I'm going to grab that because uh, I'm solely going to grab that because of Spider-Ham, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Spider-Ham, the uh, the guy from the Japanese Spider-Man series, the ultimate cartoon Spider-Man. If a Spider-Man existed in any medium, they're in this book. That's a fantastic idea. Great. <laughs> and they the make Japanese it work. TV show Spider-Man and the giant robot. Uh, I mean, it's all in there. It's great. It's The artwork is phenomenal who did one, the art on uh, uh let me i'm gonna go i think it was Copiel. i think is the guy's name okay i think that's who it was i'm gonna go hang on two seconds i'm gonna go grab, grab the book that's right in the next room hang on do it. I have to know that. do it do it sean, sean langley 
He's getting to the chopper. Grabbing the spider verse. Dan Slot. Dan Slot's a madman. Crazy shit. Okay. Coipel. C O I P E L. Right on, right on. It's him doing the pencils. And where is Oliver Coipel? C O I P E L. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And the second name, the last name is uh, Kevin Coley. C A M U N C O L I. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right or at, all, at all, but the artwork is absolutely phenomenal. One, one specific note on this, I don't think I've anyone's, uh, seen anyone draw the female form like I have seen this guy. Okay. This guy draws just absolute perfect women. Just, I mean, he doesn't go, Frank Cho is great. I love Frank Cho, but we know what he does and the physiques he draws. Right. This guy draws, you know, like slender, realistic physiques, not disproportionate at all and just perfect. Okay. I mean, just the artwork in every aspect of this is great. I've been so tempted so many times to get back into Spider-Man because I, I think I stopped reading him when McFarlane left, to be honest. And I don't think I've, <laughs> I don't think I've kept up since. So I've had no idea what's going on. I see all these Spider-Men, and I'm like, who are these people? Like, mm-hmm. it's uh, it sounds like a cool idea, though. You know, that's that's kind of same it's same kind of idea going out of the box that I actually enjoyed about Convergence, about taking like specific dc worlds not just uh timelines or planets or whatever but like you know just taking things like gas like including like the gaslight uh, gotham by gaslight world you know right and just taking that weird little side thing and throwing it into the giant mix i like that kind of thing it's always exciting but yeah, i'm glad the trade's out i'll probably gl- grab it I-, I love that i can do that now that trades got so big because there's so <laughs> many things that i just don't have to collect and i can wait for the trade now well, and two, also, I mean, this book is, you know, all the Spider-Gwen mania comes from this book is where it really began, I guess. Um, and then at the end of it, you get to see what Spider characters are kind of staying in the main universe now after all the alternate reality stuff. Right, because doesn't Parker, he ends up not being, like, how is, isn't in the Marvel Universe that Miles is going to be the main Peter, or the main Spider-Man now? I think so. I guess the way it is now is Parker is, you know, He's, you know, a little bit of a – he's an age guy. He's not a high schooler anymore. Um, he's actually – we keep forgetting that he's a scientific genius. He's one of the top five brains in the entire Marvel Universe, um, right up there with, you know, Tony Bruce and the Reed. Right. And he's got a technology uh, company, and his suit has got some technology in it at this point, but he's not the main Spider-Man anymore. Oh, I kind of like that idea. It's uh, I like that because, like, didn't I see that uh, him and Mary Jane, they're – putting them back together now or something i i think so because everybody was mad with that whole um the one more day thing yeah they they kind of put it back together but it's yeah he's there's like a tower it's parker industries and all that stuff so he's he's actually capitalized they're they're actually using the whole science geek you know technological scientific genius aspect which they never really done except for i made some web shooters and that's that's about it I like the fact that they're keeping him kind of grown up because you know how there's all this talk with Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe and how they're making him a teenager again? Mm-hmm. Sure, he was technically a high school student when it happened, but I have never, ever once seen Spider-Man portrayed as a teenager. If you go right. back, if you look at the old cartoons and you look at the old, you know, it's the whole thing about like Hollywood nowadays. It always seemed like a 30-year-old or 25 year old playing a high, a high school kid 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like never once until maybe the new cartoon, the ultimate Spider-Man. That's the most high schooly I've ever seen that character actually portrayed. Even in the old right. 60s cartoon, he didn't you didn't get the impression that he was a teenager, like 15 or whatever, you know? It's like Spider-Man meets 21 Jump Street all the time. Yeah, totally. Like I think they keep they they keep talking about this and touting it like they're going back to high school, but it's going to be weird, I think, to see this younger kid in the suit on screen with these heroes. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the contrast. I think it's going to be really cool, but I don't think, I think it is going to be something we, I think it's going to hit us harder than we think, you know, that I think yeah. they're going to play on the fact that we didn't just make him a high schooler. Like this is like a 16 year old kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that they might do the whole big civil war unmasking. And when they, that might be the first time we actually see the actor. Cause I've heard that there actually is a fighting scene that they're filming. Right, and they're um, just filming with a stunt double and a mask because that's all they have to do. Right, so maybe I'll in the movie... I would be just that masking scene, that's it. Yeah, I'm hoping that we don't actually meet the actor himself in the movie until he reveals himself. And then he Probably takes... Do. Yeah, he takes his mask off and the whole world's in shock that it's like this 15, 16-year-old kid. And that would be... <laughs> there's, a... there's one There's one guy in the press corps like, you're not Tobey Maguire! Yeah, <laughs> nice, totally, <laughs> totally. But I think it would be a pretty heavy moment. Like, you know, I think it would carry a lot of weight just to just the imagery of all the press and all the people and him taking off his mask. Who is Spider-Man? It's a goddamn kid. Because even they mm-hmm. ta- they call uh, when they he loses his mask in like Spider-Man 2 or 3, I think 2, and uh, he takes his mask off and they're like, he's just a kid. Nobody looks at Tobey Maguire and thinks he's just a kid. Yeah, you know, like that—that's that doesn't happen. I think this will be the first time they pull it off. Garfield looked younger than he did, just because he was—he was a skinny, young-looking guy, anyways. Yeah, and I think he acted it younger too. I think he—he yeah. he acted awkward, and I really liked him. I really—I did too. Really you know what sells uh, Garfield for me? What sold him before I even saw the movie was when the Comic Con thing. Of course, they had announced he was going to play Spider-Man. And they had the big Comic-Con in the Marvel panel with, you know, Kevin, I think Kevin Feige was up there, Avi yeah. Arad or whoever was in charge of it at the time, um, up there. And they had the Q&A, and some skinny kid in a Spider-Man costume came down and started to read the speech he had written on a paper about how much he loved the character Spider-Man. And then he pulled off the mask, and it was Andrew Garfield. Yeah, yeah, I watched that recently. Yeah. It was a dream come true to play the character and how much he loved Spider-Man since he was a kid. I'm like, you, you play Spider-Man, sir. You get your pass. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just like the look of him and the and the awkwardness. I thought it was, I thought it was just perfect casting and in, in the way that I had always so. seen him, you know. But he was cool about it. I, I read an interview recently where he was uh, totally understood what had gone down. He got his chance to do it. It's very cool. He's excited for the <laughs> new guy. So he was very gracious about it, you know. Yeah, it's we're not gonna get our Sinister Six movie or Spider Man three, but it's yeah, it's all right. See, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't give a fuck about Marvel until they get their mutants back. It's, oh, yeah? It's not. I can't accept it still to this day. And I love, don't get me wrong, I love Marvel movies. I love them to death. I think they're so much fun. I think they're fantastically made. I love the whole giant formula, blah, blah, blah. But it will always feel incomplete to me without the mutants. I, well, I, I think there's, there's a lot of, me and uh, the guy the booth next to me uh, were sitting there at the Marietta Con and having a discussion about this. And like, here's why the Spider-Man thing needs to be successful. If Spider-Man is successful in Civil War, and if the Marvel guy is going to Sony to help out, if this exchange uh, is successful, then that should logically open the gap for Fantastic Four and the X-Men. 
because if it's successful, it's going to make them money. And if they say this could make us more money if we do, if since Spider Man doing this made us money with that property, the X Men properties have been a little lackluster money wise. Fantastic Fours have lost money at every turn. Let's do the same formula for them that we did with Spider Man. Let's see how that works and do the exchange there too. And that has to be better than what we're doing. So if the Spider Man thing works out, then you're going to get your wish. And the people with the Fantastic Four are going to get their wish. See, I, I'm, I'm a little worried though because Fox has gone to such an extent that it almost seems overly personal. Like there's something going <laughs> on there that, because I just don't understand how Disney didn't drive a, you know, a yacht full of gold up to their port and just, you know, <laughs> here's a trillion billion dollars. Let us put them in a movie. Hand delivered by Mickey Mouse himself. Yeah, like I don't, there's something really weird there. Something must have happened a while ago or something because, you know, I think part of it is Fox is kind of bitter because they did start the, – they saved Marvel. They did. Like mm -hmm, yeah. when, when Marvel had to start selling off those rights, it was because they were going to fold. And Fox came to the goddamn rescue. And Blade and X-Men and, you know, all that stuff. I don't think Fox – they didn't do Blade, I don't think. But either way – Selling those rights. Was it who? Was, it, who, was Sony did Blade? Is that who it was? I can't. I know it was Amon Ra films. It was mm. New Line, maybe. No, but, you're right. It was New yeah, Line. It yeah, was New yeah. Line. But you know, either way, like you know, them like X Men was huge. That opened the door to everything after Blade did its thing. Like Blade, yeah. Blade opened the door for X Men, but then X Men just blew it off the hinges and saved Marvel entirely. And I don't know. There must be some kind of bitter thing that's been carried on. Because it's ridiculous at this point. It was 1999 that X-Men came out. Like, yeah, you know, come on. Like, how many years does it take to actually work this out? And every mm -hmm. time I hear the word inhuman, I cringe. <laughs> and it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels so wrong. I don't know. Like, I, you think it's a property that they shouldn't even bother with? Or you think they could do something good with it? I think they are doing something good with it. I think the only reason it is actually succeeding is because of the gap that the mutants have left, mm -hmm. that it will work out, for, especially for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I like where it's right. gone, but I just, I just hate the fact that it's so obvious that they're filling the void of the mutants. Like right. that, it just just drives me crazy, especially when we're at a point where Civil War is full of everybody. You know, mm -hmm. Ant-Man, whoever, and at this point, it's just wrong. It's just – could you imagine what would happen if they did go home too? Like just yeah. that would be it. They'd be like, all right, like here's – you want a phase five? Here's a phase five for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So right now, all my hopes and dreams are pinned on the other side. I've been a DC boy since birth anyways, and Zack Snyder, I've loved him forever, and this is a dream come true. So right now – as much as I love Marvel and what they're doing, my real excitement, like my childlike giddiness, is just waiting for Batman Superman. It's yeah, all like, you know. They'll get my money. I think I'm more time. excited for it than Star Wars, which is kind really? of blasphemy. Yeah, because, uh, see, I'm a weird Star Wars fan. I'm a prequel apologist. And I'm not saying, you know, every everybody everything everybody says about those movies is usually true, but about 90% of it. But there's also some actually ahead of its time brilliant shit that came out of those movies. And there's yeah. a lot of things I love about them. And I'm a Jedi guy. My Star Wars when I was younger in my teenage years, I got hooked on the comics. I wasn't that into the movies. It was when I started reading the novels, The New Jedi Order, Truce of Pakura, the comics started coming out. That's where I got hooked. Because I'm a mm -hmm. big chronology guy, so I love that stuff. So the prequels come out, I got a chance to see 
the history, see the Jedi in their prime. And now that's taken away from me. I'm going to get, what, maybe two lightsabers in this new movie if I'm lucky? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I granted that recent picture of Luke Skywalker that just got released. I don't know if you saw oh. that. Yeah, that made me feel, okay, that's a bit of the prequels put in there. Because I, yeah. I didn't think they would completely ignore them, and I don't think they will. So, you know, I think he looks very great. He's everything I'd want to see as a Jedi Master. So That looks fantastic. Oh, yeah, those gray Jedi robes were just a thing of beauty. I didn't even mm-hmm. believe it. When I first saw it, and people were like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know if this is real. Like, it looks too good. Like, it looks like something somebody would have made up from the comic or something. Right. But, you know. Now I know it's real. I'm much more excited for it. It's very, uh, it's very Obi Wanish. It was. Yeah, absolutely. But this Batman movie, like this is Zack Snyder to me is like a he's like a painter. Mm-hmm. He's up there with like he's in the kind of filmmaking league of like Terrence Malick and like uh, Michael Mann and uh, what's what's his name uh, Magnolia dude. P.S. Anderson or uh, yeah, Paul yeah. W. Anderson. Yeah, like the, these kind of guys. That's, uh, you know, except he's making comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like I could watch Watchmen over and over and over and over and over again. 300, just the fight scenes, the epic, you know, choreography of it all. And, and you know, mm-hmm. people complained about the, the gray tones and stuff in Man of Steel. I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So all I can uh, all I can wait for is to see what he does with Batman's cape. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Like the cape and cowl are the, are, it's some of the best imagery there is that you could have to work with, you know? And, uh, oh, 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 gets me excited. Sorry. I'm, no. I'm looking forward to that. I want to see what they do with it. I think, uh, um, have you, there's been consistent rumors about the, the main, you know, the villain that brings the league together, so to speak. Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. The Doomsday thing. Yeah. I think, I, I think, yeah. I I I worry about that, and here's why. Doomsday, if done right, he you know he'd be a great villain. That he's there's no brain to Doomsday. There's no rhyme or reason. He's just a force of nature. Yeah. The question is, he's supposed to be. I mean, like nobody could kill him. Superman couldn't even kill him. They had to drop him off in the comics, take him with via time travel to the end of the universe, the end of existence, and drop him off there. Right. To kill him because they couldn't kill him. Not even Superman could. Um. So how do you use a character like that first shot at your first, you know, Justice League uh, coming together movie? I think you dumb him down a bit. I think you'll have to dumb him down. Uh, well, he'll still be powerful enough that he'll be more powerful than Superman. So you'll need a league to fight him. But right. I think that uh, a his origin is going to be a little different. I'm a strong believer in the whole rumor of the uh, turning uh, Zod into Doomsday. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he'll be a little less powerful of a creature than he might have been in the comics, but not so much so. But I don't think they'll have to drop him off the end of Infinity or anything. So I think they'll deal with him because I think Justice League is going to be all about Darkseid. Yeah, it you should know? be. Darkseid's yeah. fantastic. Of course, Doomsday, the thing about him is he dies, he comes back, and he's more powerful when he comes back. He cannot be killed because he keeps coming back. True. So, I mean, they could still stay within canon. It'd just be an earlier version of Doomsday, basically. Yeah, and I mean, the way that there some stuff... I love the, the extreme balance of some stuff they are being so hardcore canon, mm-hmm. and other stuff they're being as far away from it as they could. Mm-hmm. Like the whole Gotham is across the bay from Metropolis thing. That's mm-hmm. ballsy. Right. Ballsy as shit! But mm-hmm. the more you, more you think about it, the more it works. The yep. more it makes sense. 
it helps the story out. It Absolutely. helps, you know, link yeah. together. Yeah. And I'm sorry, when they when you see that scene in the trailer where Bruce Wayne looks at that uh, the, the statue of Robin with the Joker's handwriting on it, I lost my crap. I was done. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to this Joker. My favorite one so far has been Jack. Oh, I, oh yeah? Oh, yeah. I love the, the, the just the nonsense. Like, you know, not that I didn't appreciate the chaotic psychopath that kind of Heath Ledger was. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole anarchy thing, blah, blah, blah. I like just like off the rails, like no uh-huh. rhyme or reason, like so nuts right. that you wouldn't even explain your reasoning as being about anarchy. You know, like I just want to see that psychopath doing anything for no reason. And I think mm-hmm. this is the closest I feel like we're going to get to it. The um, I like, the, you know, the fact that the. The, the Joker in, in, you know, Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, now Leto. I, I like the fact where it seems like they keep portraying different aspects of the Joker's personality we've seen throughout the years. Totally. Uh, Romero played the, the campy goofball personality we saw, you know, around the same time frame in the comics, you know, the old 60s stuff. Um, when Joker first showed up in 39, was it 1939? Uh, it was, I think it was... Batman was at 37. I think Joker was at 38 or 39. But, uh, it was very soon. Yeah, but was... I remember in his first appearance, Joker killed like at least a dozen people. So yeah. he was a, yeah. a murderer even back then. You know, I think he actually appeared even earlier than that once quick, and then they brought him back like very soon after. But you're totally right. Yeah, he, he fucked up a lot of shit back then. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like even back then when comics where kids were buying them, he was a murderer, a mass murderer. Oh, yeah. That was even hardcore back then. Oh yeah. Uh, they, you know, the Caesar Romero, the the goofy, campy, jokester type. Um, you know, Nicholson, the 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 gangster, mobster type that was unhinged and would just, you know, the brought in the first the real murderous aspect because we didn't see Romero like kill anybody. I don't think in that they didn't kill anybody in that show. No. Um, and then of course Ledger has the the more calculated uh, anarchist side. Uh, I think Leto is going to do the. I think Leto's Joker might be the closest thing we see to the killing joke. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, he's, I just want him off the rails. I don't want to understand why he's doing what he's doing. And I don't want him to explain why he's doing what he's doing. I, that's, that's the one thing that kind of turned me off from Heath Ledger was he was constantly, it was all explanative, like everything he was talking about. He explained why he was doing it or the reason for he's doing this or, you know, I did like the new origin, though. I love that. Well, I love that, too. That's great. I think yeah. that they'll probably stick pretty close to that for this. I mean, you know, I mean, the most of an origin we've ever gotten was the Jack Nicholson one, which, you right. know, was Tim Burton kind of played with to fit a movie, but still made enough right. sense. But I just like the one scene when uh, after he kills Carl Grissom and he's sitting at the table and he says the whole wait till they get a load of me. Mm-hmm. That line got really popular, but that's not what I love. I love that immediately after he says, wait till they get a load of me, mm-hmm. he puts the paper down. He just starts looking around the room, and he just starts going, oh, oh. Yep, just breaks out into laughter. And then he breaks out into laughter, and you're like, <laughs> what the hell was that? That, you know, that was, oh, we're being joined by a special guest. <laughs> Are you a pirate? Look at this. Pirate Declan. That's fantastic. It looks like it's school today. My son made his own uh, hook. 
Oh. It's like a styrofoam aluminum foil made hook and a nice uh, paper pirate hat. You got skull and crossbones. Good luck, buddy. Oh, or good luck. Cool. I mean, good job. <laughs> uh, and good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. High five. Good job. I'm just talking on uh, the podcast. You think you can go upstairs and I'll come see you soon? You go play your Batman game. I'll come play Robin soon. <laughs> He's all into Batman Le- Batman Lego 2 right now. Oh, nice. And yeah. the Lego thing is coming up with Doctor Who and like all the properties in one thing with Batman. Oh. I'm, I'm not even much of a gamer, and there's they're coming out with stuff that makes me like, no, I don't want I don't want to buy a system. Don't make. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, you're a bit of Ho- uh, Hoovian too, aren't you? Little bit, yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may have a couple Doctor Who related things sitting around the apartment somewhere. By a couple, I mean like fifty, but that's okay. <laughs> right on. Are you enjoying Capaldi? I, I love Capaldi. My my first Doctor was uh, Baker. Nice. That's nice. The, doc- the Doctor that I grew up with was Baker. First time I turned on a TV and saw something, anything Doctor Who, this crazy guy with the hair, the hat, and that scarf. You know and... what I don't get about that? Because I think we're around the same age. We were born in the seventies, yeah. Yeah, mid 75, yeah. Yeah, I'm 77. So growing up, in, it was weird because growing up in the early 80s, that was our first Doctor. You ask any 80s kid, they remember Doctor Who as Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't the Doctor at that time, which, you know, we were watching reruns on PBS. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were playing him, and that's why we, all of us yeah, 80 kids was, remember him. Doctor to like 81, wasn't he? Yeah, and it was yeah. Davidson after that. And none of us paid attention to that because he didn't have the awesome scarf and the crazy right. it, hair. It was the same. He was boring compared to Baker. To yeah. a kid, Baker was crazy. Yeah, yeah, which was fantastic. Jelly but, beans. I like, I like Capaldi because he hearkens the – if I go a little hoovy and crazy for a second, just for a second, I'm going to go nerdy. Oh, please do. I guess, I guess the thing is that, that you know, because then you had uh, Eccleston, you had Tennant, you had Smith. Doctor was younger. Uh, Eccleston was not so much, but, I mean, he's, you know, still kind of the same age as Tennant and Smith is a little bit younger. Yeah. I guess in, in the, from the gap they had in the seasons, you know, from, from the, where the show took that break, Doctor was always mostly an older guy, mostly. Yeah. And then you had... I guess the in his in his timeline the time war happened, which was a horrible life shaping event for him. And I guess they, they kinda hinted at possibility that after that he regressed a little bit and came back as progressively younger yeah. and tried to escape that and forget about it. And then through the storyline they had where, you know, the time of the doctor, the day of the doctor, and Tennant and Smith had their joint episodes with the fantastic Mr. Hurt, um, came to terms with it. And then regenerate it back to his more original state, which is an older guy. Totally. That makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He kind of – he's getting back on track to where he was right. sort of thing. And, you know, because, like, I love Tenet and I love – like, I did kind of get back on board with uh, more Matt Smith than ever, anything. But I had seen a few Tenants. But mm-hmm. Matt – I do love Matt Smith. I think he's absolutely fantastic. The thing I miss most about him was his theme music. Yeah. Oh, it was the best Man. Doctor Who's ever had. The dun, 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 so oh. great. <laughs> That's the only thing I miss. But yes, I love Capaldi. I love just he's so unpredictable. Like yes, the Doctor usually is, but Capaldi plays him in a way that you can't even see if he's. You just can't read him. He's the most unreadable Doctor in a long time. And Those I eyebrows are pretty much always in the same place. Yes, yes, sir. yes, yes. And you never know what he's thinking. And since sometimes he'll bust something out evil or overly nice, and you're just like, 
he's he's so so unpredictable. I just I love that part of it. And uh, did you see the new trailer for the new season? Oh uh, yes. Oh, it looks yes, great. I'm so looking forward to that. Oh, that it's either Gallifrey or Gallifreyan City somewhere in that one <laughs> shot. And I love that we're gonna get back on track. I enjoyed. That what they tried for his first season, where they went back to old school ways of one-off ep- monster of the week type episodes, mm-hmm. and you know I like that they tried that, but I I am so in love with their big giant over arcs for the seasons that I kind of want them to get back into that. Right. And I just because you know the the way that Moffat managed to connect the last like whole season of the eleventh was just unbelievably brilliant, all the way from the blue head warning of the fall of the eleventh. Yep. To, to him regenerating was just a masterfully crafted puzzle, you know? I like where um, they – it seemed to me with Tennant and when he came on and then when they had Smith, they didn't really make a mention of previous companions too much, previous uh, storylines and stuff that happened in there. They didn't seem to do it all that much. Um, like they had one mention of Rose in the entire run of Smith, and it was when she showed up in a hologram when he was in the TARDIS, thought he was dying. And, you yes. know, I need somebody to talk to. And the, the, the TARDIS projected Rose is like, that's exactly what I need. More guilt. Nope. Somebody else. Um, yeah. And that yeah. was really it. Yeah. Um, Capaldi, you know, in the first episode, uh, Jenna Colvin, she dropped the uh, the sonic screwdriver. He's like, times like this, I miss Amy. What? Nothing. Yeah. yeah, you, know? yeah. you know what? He actually, I I think he made an older one, too. I mm-hmm. think there might have been. uh an episode where I swore that I heard him mention like an old companion, like a fourth doctor companion. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I want to um, totally blank out on it right now, but uh, yeah, I want them to bring all, all that back in. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see river. I want to see him interact with river. He mentioned during the caretaker episode. Now, do you think it's the same actress then, or do you think they can't imagine any other way regenerator because it's, here's the weird thing about river, all the adventures we've gone on with river. You have to go back to the very time, first time we met her because mm-hmm. that's where she currently is. Yeah. So of all the things that have gone on in all the times and episodes, the first time we met her in the library mm-hmm. and she gets downloaded, right now she's still downloaded. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. you know, Capaldi would have to find her out of there. But that is where I think if that happened – it would switch around the fact that they are going in opposite directions on the timeline. Right. So I'm wondering if she would have to regenerate to do that or would they keep Alex King's? I don't know. Well, she keeps hopping around different timelines and stuff. She, she came from all over the place with Matt Smith, so she could do it with the quality. They could, they could work it out. It might be cool to see, imagine <laughs> River regenerates as a man. Yeah. You know, you know? They, they, they keep hinting at the doctor being a woman too, you know, in one of the next runs and, um, I tell you, they, they missed me and uh, me and my girlfriend were talking uh, actually yesterday about, you know, uh, who would make a great doctor if they went female. And I think they missed their chance. Michelle Gomez was the lady's name who played uh, Missy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. She would have been perfect. Man, she was she just does bonkers. Just perfect. She would have been great for it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember they, they bounced a few names around before Capaldi was announced. And mm-hmm. like, I think it was like Emma Thompson, maybe. Tilda Swinton, I think. That would have been cool. That would have been yeah. cool. But just the other day, did you see uh, Haley At- uh, somebody Haley asked At- Haley Atwell if she'd want to be on <laughs> – yeah. do you want to be on Doctor Who? She's like, I want to be Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, the Haley Atwell thing. But uh, um, And that girl from Game of Thrones who's been cast mm-hmm. in the new season, 
I hear rumors that she be uh, maybe Romana. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's a thought because there's one that's... part where she's talking to this creature, and it's a creature that looks like it could have been one of the ones that used to be her guards. So oh. a lot of people think that she might actually be a regenerated a regenerated Romana from oh, the, be... you know the fourth Doctor's old love and bring it back to Baker again. Yeah. Yeah, ex president of Gallifrey, right? So it could have a lot to do with. I think they're going to go really focus back on the Gallifrey thing, which I love because I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love it just all coming together. So totally stoked and excited. But uh, as you kids heard, my kid has arrived home, so I should probably go do the fatherly thing and play some uh, Batman Lego too. But uh, Mr. Sean Langley, before I do, why don't you tell these wonderful people where they can get uh, a look at your artworkings? Gladly. Uh, I what my main place is uh, SeanLangleyArt.com, and on there you'll find links to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the things, and of course links to Rapid City Below Zero, uh, written by Josh Dahl, the book that I'm currently working on. And uh, that's you go there, SeanLangleyArt.com, and you can you'll find everything through that. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out, man. Dude, thanks for having me. It was fantastic. I love every minute of it. You come back, and we'll talk some more Who when the new season starts. Good deal, and, uh, man. Look forward to- Yeah, we'll get our Who chatter on. But uh, everybody, please make sure that you go check out Mr. Langley's stuff because uh, it's fantastic. It's really good stuff. You'll want a commission once you see it. And, uh, sir, I'm very excited to see where you go from here. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, so as I said before, that's our last episode before – uh fan expo fan expo canada 2015 is happening next week so make sure that uh you keep an eye on uh aew podcast on twitter and an elegant weapon on instagram and uh facebook and i think i might actually be doing some fun periscoping uh for the fan expo so if you go to uh periscope look up an elegant weapon but for this week yeah, yeah, it's been neat, man. Uh, I want to start playing with it a little more, and uh, I might start doing like pre-podcast rants or some kind of shit, you know. I get on there once in a while, and I've got I got one of those little cheap arms to put on the side of my desk and hold the the phone over it, so I can do that while I draw stuff. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. The interface is really something. That's neat. Everybody check that out because uh, you get to see Sean doing his thing in the process. So uh, mm-hmm. very very cool. But uh, yeah, that is all we're gonna have this week uh, on an elegant weapon. Take it easy.